And good evening, America. Welcome to the Weather Channel, the non-ending weather telethon. What's up, guys? It is Season 1, Episode 3 of the Weather Channel Podcast. We've got a treat for you today. We're going to talk about the history of the Weather Channel. And uh, joining us here is Tom Moore. He was an on-air meteorologist for the Weather Channel back in the day. Um, But before that, Tom, you were... Uh, just like a regular meteorologist, right? You were just a forecaster, and then you somehow ended up on air, right? Uh, that's right. I, I came to work at the Weather Channel from day one, 1982, <laughs> so that's a long time ago. 82. Uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Before before we get into uh, your history at the Weather Channel, let me just um, kind of give you my history with how I came to know about the Weather Channel, all right? So I'm 32 years old. Um Back in the day, I did not have cable at my house. Okay, I know, it's pretty sad. <laughs> the old frowny face. My dad was a cheapskate, <clears throat> which was probably good, and I turned out to be that way too now. I'm always the one going around the house trying to turn off all the lights and everything. Um, but we didn't have cable, but once a year, we used to go down to Baltimore. I grew up in Rhode Island. We would go visit my mom's parents, my grandparents. They had cable, and... The Weather Channel was there, and it was the most amazing thing ever. It was this channel that had weather on it nonstop, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just the coolest thing since sliced bread. I would sit in front of that TV all day. I'm trying to think of uh, some of the names I remember. Obviously, Cantori was there. This is probably early 90s, early to mid-90s. It was Cantori. Um, I do specifically remember Warren Madden. Janetta Jones, I had a big crush on her when I was a kid. Um, I'm sure there were plenty of other people that I used to watch. I think Paul Goodlow was on back then, right? Was was he or no? He was later. <clears throat> Tom, I do actually remember seeing you, and uh, you had a mustache back in the day. What happened to the mustache? Uh, I, I left it in uh, some town. I, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm glad that I did. Yeah, I think you should bring it back. I think it's a good look. I, I grew a beard. Uh, I usually grow a beard in the winter now. My wife never kisses me while I have it, but that's all right. Who cares? All right, so um, we're talking about the history of the Weather Channel here. You were in from day one. Let's start even before that. I mean, how did the Weather Channel start? It was a couple of guys, right? John Coleman, uh, Joe DeLeo. What happened with them? Well, these people uh, were determining my future, but in, around 1976-1977 era, John Coleman was doing the weather on Good Morning America, so he was known to a national audience. Uh, he came up with an idea uh, for a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week weather channel. Great idea. He, he just thought that uh, people weren't getting enough weather information or when they wanted it, and there was a big need an increasingly big need back in those days for more weather information. People had more leisure time. They were getting away from home more and all of that. So he took that idea, and then over the ensuing years, he tried to get somebody to uh, help him out a little bit, back him, you know, because he didn't have enough money to do it. Right. And he kept getting rejection after rejection after rejection. He said many. Uh, Finally, uh, he found a backer in the early 1980s. That was Landmark <clears throat> Communications. Uh, they decided they were a company that owned some cable stations. They also had a couple of TV, uh, local TV stations, and newspapers. That was their main uh, uh, media. Sure. Joe DeLeo was his meteorologist. His 
chief meteorologist for Good Morning America. Joe had been a professor of meteorology and the head of the meteorology department at Linden State College up in Vermont. That's where Cantori went, right? Uh, yeah, Jim Cantori went there. Rick Griffin was also there, and he was an original OCM. And several of the early meteorologists were Linden Staters because they were... Yeah, uh, yeah my producer they were, went there too, James B. You know him, right? Uh, Jim Wilson. Jim and Wilson. They were they're all students of Joe. They, to make a long story short, they decided to come to Atlanta. Atlanta already had cable networks, were able to feed out to satellites easier. And our and winters are pretty nice, too. Yeah, and Atlanta was at the time was cheaper to live in than some of the northeast cities. So anyway, transportation hub. So they decided to uh, put the Weather Channel in Atlanta. As far as I'm concerned, uh, I had a meteorological background from college and all that. I was living in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, basically working for the government on environmental projects. I wasn't into forecasting, which I really wanted to do. Uh, also, back when I was in college, uh, I was on a local cable station. I did a little weather, a little sports. So I had a little bit of a TV background. Sure. So that would kind of intrigue me, too. Okay. So October of 1981 comes around. I go to my mailbox. I have subscribed to the AMS, American Meteorological Society, jobs bulletin. Pay $5 a year, get the job bulletin every month. Open it up. And lo and behold, I see we're looking for meteorologists for a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week weather channel. Now, to me, I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't everybody want to have it and work for a 24-hour-a-day, <laughs> seven-day-a-week weather channel if it was a meteorologist? So to make a long story short again, I sent a letter, resume, and basically begged and begged for the job. And you got it. Yeah, I did, you know, and that uh, took me to Atlanta. I came to visit and got an apartment and all that in February. And March 1st of 1982, we all started together from day one. Now, it took a couple of months for everybody to practice and get used to their roles. So the Weather Channel launched on May 2nd of 1982. What, what was your role back in the day, like exactly when you started? What were you doing on a day, like when you went to work? What would you say you do here? Well, they had filled in most of the forecaster positions at the time, so I started on what they call the bottom rung of the ladder. Sure. I think they still use that term now. Oh, yeah. Uh, no so I was at, basically at a radar desk, a uh, met tech position. I called up radars, uh, different uh, – you had a Kavoris system that would uh, download your radars and you could put them on the air. A little primitive compared to what we have now. Sure. Uh, there were there was an 800 call in, so the – few people that were watching, listening to the Weather Channel. We got several repeat calls, oh, by the great. way, but we monitored that, uh, made sure that everybody was ready uh, for the show. Uh, we took satellite pictures, loaded them into a frame-by-frame Quantel storage unit, kind of like if you're real old and you uh, remember uh, slideshows and, and had a projector and you moved it ahead one at a time, that's what you had to do. Now, back in those days, putting the satellite picture in motion was taking a dozen satellite pictures, just keep hitting the button, the button and on the air you could see the clouds move. So you, each frame was individually yeah, called up? absolutely. Oh, yeah. wow, that is something else. So hmm. talk about that a little bit, Quantel. Okay, what is what is Quantel? It's like this old school. Is Did you guys come up with that? No, it was a company, I think. Okay. 
as far as I can remember. And and there also uh, the current weather maps were done by hand. The we got the observations from weather stations around the country and air bases and all that. And we drew the isobars for millibars at a time. And we also took a little green pencil and colored in uh, precipitation if it was uh, rain, oh, snow, you nice. do the purple pencil. So we had to do all that, and then we'd take it over to an artist who had a uh, computer graphics as, as far advanced as they were in those days, and they would, uh, they would color that in, you know, and make it fancy, and then uh, have a still frame, and then that would be loaded as a frame that could be used for your weather show into the Quantel. Even I remember doing some hand analysis. Like when I did my internship in 2005, 2006, they actually still had a Difax printer at the place. This was WTMJ in Milwaukee. John Milan was the guy who mentored me. And, you know, it's funny because I know that you didn't, like, plan on being on air when you first came to the Weather Channel, right? You were kind of behind the scenes. I didn't plan to do this for a living either. You know what I mean? I... I, I gotten this internship with the local weatherman all i knew was that i was a meteorology student i needed a job i figured i would just come in and help him draw some maps and help him with some graphics and things like that and it came time to get a job you know was, uh, september was rolling around and i i went up on the wall and i don't know whatever maybe i had a knack for it or something but <clears throat> no tv experience and you know I'm kind of curious how you ended up on TV because you were really good. And I think it's honestly sometimes the people who uh, end up having to do it organically rather than going to broadcast school are, I think, some of the better broadcasters, some of my favorites. How did you get into it? Well, first of all, we had <clears throat> DIFACs as well, and we had to hang up the maps on the wall, big Love map it. wall. But I'm going to take you very quickly yes. through a few years, okay? Uh, now, <clears throat> I was there as a, doing that calling up the radar deal, uh, a couple people left, and I was moved into a hybrid position between that and a forecaster. After a year, I became a full-time forecaster. After another year, I was what they call a senior meteorologist, and we used to do temperature forecasts for 50 cities around the country. Not by computer. We would look at data and make our own forecast. And then eventually, I got into a uh, prog forecaster. We would do one- or two-day prog forecasts. And then what they call a forecast coordinator, where you're in charge of the whole shift. That took me about three years. I just moved ahead three years to do that. All the while I was doing that, remember I said a couple of minutes ago that in college, I had uh, worked a little bit in, with a local cable TV station, so I had a little bit of experience. John Coleman said it should be decreed that all meteorologists should have a chance to be a broadcaster because that's the ultimate. That's pretty nice. Yeah. So he, uh, we had an alternate studio where we could <clears throat> have, have a Quantel system, play our own whatever frames we wanted, and make demonstration tapes. And I used to go in there, even when I wasn't working on days off, I used to go in there and work a couple hours at a time. I kept doing it and doing it and doing it and practicing. And finally, uh, they let me fill in sometimes on the air during that three-year period I'm talking about. And then eventually, uh, in 1986, uh, well, I also been a radio. The first one of the first two radio meteorologists uh, on the, we had like two radio stations. Uh, so I was doing that while I was doing the forecasting. So I basically was doing a lot, 
because we didn't have many people in those right. days. And a lot of money. Well, anyway, in 1986, somebody left. In fact, uh, it was Karen Mitten, who uh, has spent the rest of her time on television at WSB in Atlanta from yeah, 1986. She's still she? going strong. Yeah, she is. She does mornings, uh, right? She does mornings, and, and uh, I basically took her place oh, wow. uh, on the air there. And then I was an uh, on-camera meteorologist, one of the regulars for about a decade after that, and then I went into other things after that. Yeah. So what are you doing now, Tom? I know, um, you know you'd worked with the Weather Channel till what, about 2015? I know you did a stint um, kind of uh, doing some contract work with some writing uh, for the digital content team. Um, what are you doing now? I know you were with Weather Optics for a while. There are a couple, couple different... Yeah, just kind of explain uh, of what, what Yeah, well, are. once you get into the private weather business, it gets a little, you know, you don't know what you're going to do the next day sometimes. Yeah. Uh, right, well, after Weather Channel in 2015, I had a contract job with weather.com doing briefings and writing articles and that. Didn't you write for uh, W uh, Wall Street Journal at some point? Oh, the uh, oh, well, Washington Also, Post. yeah, basically uh, I had a contract with them, too. Uh, it was the uh, Capital Weather Gang. That's who, right. Many of you are in meteorology know that. They have a wonderful website. They're a great group. They do. Great meteorologist uh, there, too. I love Jason. He's a, he's a good guy. He, he ribs us a little bit from time to time. But I saw him at a conference a couple of years ago, and I gave him some jazz because he, uh, you know, he was ripping us for our headlines and stuff like that. But he's a really cool dude, and um, that's just part of the game. you know. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. After the six months of the weather.com contract ended, uh, soon after, um, I went to work for a private company called iWeatherNet. Uh, that was really good because I was getting regular salary and writing articles and doing things. I whether or not just ran into some legal troubles. I'll leave it at that. And, okay. Uh, and I couldn't stay with them anymore. Then the, uh, a private company called Weather Optics came up. But just as they were launching, there was a falling out uh, among the people that were involved in the project. So basically, Weather Op- Optics has gone off on their own. And the rest of the group, uh, who are very well-known meteorologists, uh, is launching a new private weather service, which they want to go nationwide. Very accomplished meteorologist. It's called Weather Concierge. This is going to be launching in either late May or early June, and you'll probably hear a lot more about it because of the people involved, because they're well-known. Anyway, I'm going to hopefully be involved with working for them. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. Um, you know, I was doing some research on these things, and, you know, it just seems like such a tapped market right now, right? I mean, you know, ever since the Internet came out, it's kind of a tough thing to be involved in because, you know, ev- everything that everybody needs as far as their weather goes is like, boom, right there on their phone, whatever their weather app is. But I remember researching the Weather Optics site, and it, there were some young people involved with that, right? Wasn't the um, the creator of that site, it, I think it said he was in high school. It was like, come see our experts. And then I clicked on the thing, and it was like this high school kid there who I'm sure is a, you know, knows his stuff as far as weather goes but uh i don't know i just found that kind of interesting good for him for starting a company but uh well he brought in the other people the more experienced people to launch a uh weather optics that had a greater resume okay but then some trouble ensued and so weather concierge has all of the rest of the experience meteorologist. Uh, gotcha. Okay. All right. okay. So, so okay, you understand that. Okay. All right. We got some good. We got some good dirt out of you there. All right. <laughs> um, okay. So let's go back to uh, back in the day at the Weather Channel. Okay. So what are some of the biggest events that you've covered? What were the most memorable things you've covered um, when you were on the air? Well, you know, 
in the early days of the Weather Channel, we didn't get a chance to go out in the field. Uh, now, in the book, there's a very, very funny story about the first time we tried to do a, uh, a live, uh, had to do with a uh, lunar eclipse. And I won't, because I want you to get this book. I didn't uh, even talk about the book yet. Hold on. We're, we're going to no, talk oh, about the okay, book, I, but I, I'm not going to do a spoiler uh, <laughs> on it, so you can read about it. But just to finish this question, yeah. uh, the first one I can remember when we finally got enough money and were profitable enough to do these things, because we were itching to do something live for, for years, uh, was uh, the covering of Hurricane Hugo. Uh, that was a Category 4 hurricane that came in uh, just north of Charleston, South Carolina. And caused a lot of damage. Was it 89? Yes. Okay. That thought, I thought I remembered that. I heard some legendary stories about John Hope during Hurricane Hugo. My producer, uh, Jim Wilson, he was working with John Hope at the time. And apparently, what did he work, like over 24 hours or something? And he they had to like put him on a cab. He refused to leave, something like that. John would refuse to leave. I mean, there's no <laughs> way you were going to pry John away from the Weather Channel during that time. And I, I, we'll talk about John in sure. a minute. Uh, but as far as Hugo goes... John had a good relationship with the National Hurricane Center, so he kind of worked in tandem with them and and didn't uh, deviate from them very much. However, when Hugo was coming in, it it became pretty obvious that it was not going to turn right away to the north, the northeast. And the official Hurricane Center track of that was once it got to the coast, it would come up toward Myrtle Beach. Uh, John disagreed with that. And this was monumental for us. But John went on the air and said, well, I don't think this is going to do this. It's going to come straight in and continue to move through South Carolina. And it did. And it moved up and affected Charlotte. They had a gust of 93 miles an hour. Wow. So and then ended up in Pennsylvania somewhere. But but uh, John was very good about that. And I remember we used to give John a little bit extra time to do the tropical updates. And uh, he walked into the studio because I was working on the air. And uh, John, I just looked at John. It was Category 4. And I just shook my head. and go, this is pretty bad. And he kind of looked at me and gave me that look. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that very vividly. Yeah, if you guys don't know who we're talking about, uh, maybe some of the younger people don't remember. But uh, John Hope, he was the tropical expert. Um, he had a heck of a resume. I mean, he was like an Air Force guy, a meteorologist, a tropical expert, all this stuff. And, you know, he was the guy back in the day on the 50s, the tropical updates on the 50s. I would wait for them. I used to uh, ruin my parents' road maps. Remember those Rand McNally road maps? If there was a storm getting close to the U.S., I would watch those tropical updates on the 50s with John Hope. And I would uh, actually, like, write the symbol of the hurricane on there because they would give you the latitude and the longitude. That was some of my earliest uh, stuff that I remember being really interested in weather. But, yeah, you remember John? Uh, he was the he was kind of an older guy. He had white hair, uh, the white mustache, uh, kind of just a uh, like a little bit of a quieter voice, I want to say, right? But uh, he was really fun to watch. But, man, some legendary stories of him from what I hear. <laughs> well... First of all, John was one of the best human beings that I've ever known, let alone being a tropical forecaster and all that. He was in from the beginning, he right? Had been, yeah, he had been, he had been yeah. a forecaster in the uh, military in World War II. Uh, he got into tropical forecasting. He's a lecture, he had lectured all over the world. And he had also uh, been a forecaster for the uh, space launches in the 60s, you know, the original astronauts and all that back in the space program so he had a lot of experience what a resume yeah incredible (laughs) 
And so he, he brought instant credibility to our network. In fact, uh, as time went on, he was called the Walter Cronkite of TV weather. And you're right, he had a laid-back uh, demeanor. He didn't hype anything. He told you what to do, what was going to happen, walked you right through it, and people just were drawn to him and said, this is somebody that I trust and that I'm going to listen to and, and follow. Yeah. Um, I want to get into how things were different uh, for you guys back in the day as compared to what it's like now. So, so I'm an on-camera meteorologist right now for the Weather Channel on the digital side. Okay, so when I come into work, I'll just kind of explain what I do, and then we'll see what how that compares. So when I come into work, we decide which stories we're going to do, which stories are the most interesting to people, which ones are going to be the most impactful. Uh, we basically decide those. Say it's four weather stories or something like that, three or four weather stories. Then we decide how are we going to make this interesting. Um we try to incorporate video as much as possible. So, for instance, if we have a severe weather outbreak that's going to happen today, was there some severe weather yesterday that we can pull video of and show people what the history of the storm system has been, show them some crazy video of hail falling or some crazy damaging wind? We try to open our videos with some of that. Um, We've got a whole news desk that is completely dedicated to finding that video and like asking for rights you know if it's like somebody on twitter that had uh taken some video of some crazy hail they go ask them for that video and see if we can get the rights to it uh we'll usually show it with credit so that's kind of the structure we're, we're and then we also have weather producers like dina knightley james wilson these are the people that are making the weather graphics that you see so <clears throat> God, excuse me. Oh, my gosh. The pollen here has been crazy over the last couple of days. I mean, you look out the window right now in Atlanta. It's like, (coughs) oh, my gosh. My kid is coughing, and I'm coughing. Everybody's coughing. Um, Okay, so we get the video aspect, and then we've got the um, weather graphics aspect, and we try to put that all together. So there's a lot of people involved. It's this big production to make, like, a one-minute video that you see on the Weather Channel app. What did you guys do when you went to work? (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't forget, this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far (laughs) away. Uh, Well, keep in mind, when the Weather Channel began, the concept of 24-7 weather was unfathomable, if I can say that word. I think you got it. Yeah, something like that. People needed weather information. Where could they get it? They could read a little something at the top of their newspaper, forecast, uh, 6 o'clock, 11 o'clock news. And that was about it. Uh, There would be a warning issued by the Weather Bureau or service, whatever it was. And the disc jockey on the radio station might go through some papers that were ripped off, a teletype or something. Oh, here's a warning. It might have been 30 minutes later. uh, And then read it. So that was the state of weather information at the time. I remember people reading warnings, you know, like even on-camera meteorologists. Somebody would bring them a warning and they would literally read it off of the diefacts, right? Right. Well... When the Weather Channel started, there were no producers. The John Coleman said, the OCM is the producer of the show. Now, there was a clock, one-minute current weather, a minute forecast. There was a wheel uh, that you had to stay with him, but you could put anything in that Quantella you really wanted to for what was available. There was a general executive producer that kind of looked over the network, but had the hour-to-hour was mostly produced by the OCMs, and then John would okay it, and they had little meetings and talk about what they were doing. So that was uh, very rigid. 
Now, that stayed, it stayed that way for a while. In the late 1980s, in the late 1980s, they started uh, bringing in producers that would uh, be able to get video. We would play video on the air, but that was the first step in the water, toe in the water, so to speak, for production. But during the 90s, the shows became more and more produced, okay? And then, of course, now they're what you said. Um, who were some of your favorite people to work with in the early days? Yeah, I mean, yeah, people always get that. And then you always hear, I liked everybody. And then you're going to hear the same thing from me because you know, the Weather Channel has a culture, and I still think it does. There's a certain type of person that gets uh, it brought in. But I'd say overwhelmingly, with maybe exceptions that I could even count on my uh, one hand, I enjoyed working with just about everybody. It was an incredible group of people, believe me. Yeah, I remember we talked about this the other day. I mean, just the culture of it. Like, everybody was trying to teach the younger people. You know, it was like this culture of um, just, you know, like I said, I mean, it's the, the older people trying to teach the younger people, and the younger people learn more, and then those guys teach the even younger people more things, right? Yeah, there's a lot of cooperation that goes on, a lot of help that you get. Uh, in the early days of the Weather Channel, we had lots of help. Uh, Joe DeLeo, who you mentioned before, had been a professor. We had so many young meteorologists that he, every three months or so, would get us all together and have a whole class uh, on severe weather or East Coast storms. It was a whole meteorology class just to refresh us on, on what to do and what to look for uh, on the computer models and all that kind of stuff in these situations. Uh, you know, even nowadays uh, at the Weather Channel, I know they still do some stuff that's pretty similar to that. Um, they'll have the seasonal experts give little, uh, quick little classes. You know, maybe for the people that aren't meteorologists that are part of the whole thing that are that are working on um, the productions. For instance, um, you know, I don't I don't know what uh, Doctor Nab does. I haven't worked with him very much. I, I've heard only good things about him, but I know, you know, Mike Lowry used to have a little. Um, he was a tropical expert that worked at the Weather Channel not long ago. He would have like a little get-together before tropical season. Hey, let's just kind of go over some of these things that you might run into. Uh, Dr. Forbes, before severe weather season, will have a little class on it. And Tom Nizzle, maybe with the winter storms, they'll have things like that, right? Yeah, I'm going to make two points here. One is that as time went on late 90s into the 2000s, we started bringing in more experts, not just John Hope for uh, – for the, uh, the hurricane expert. But Dr. Forbes, Greg Forbes came in uh, for severe. And then Tom Nizzle, you've mentioned, and uh, Mike Lowry. It expanded as time went on, Dr. Nib. But uh, way back when, John used to have that same thing every year. He'd have a seminar just before the hurricane season. Bring us all in, refresh us on what to look for, and all that. And, and during one of those times, well, actually about three or four of those times, during those seminars, John said, someday, and this was back in the 80s, a hurricane is going to come up from the Gulf of Mexico near, near New Orleans. And don't forget, New Orleans is below sea level, and there's a big lake just to the north of them, and there's a big sea just to the south of them. But one of these days... All this water is going to come pouring in to that seven foot below sea level city, and they're going to have a massive flood. And he said it, I'd say, three or four times during those over the years during those seminars. 
And that, and then Katrina happened. Of course, that was two thousand five. And when did John pass away? Was it uh, sometime between two thousand two and two thousand five? Right. Right. Yeah. So it was like in that time range. It was like right after he died. Then of course, you know that came true. Just just crazy stuff. Um, let me talk about the book for a little bit. <clears throat> um, this is a pretty cool book. I haven't read through the whole thing yet because honestly, I just haven't got my hands on a copy. My producer has it, and he brings it into work, and I'm kind of a slow reader, so I've gone through parts of it. But I really like the way it's put together. So it's about the early days of the Weather Channel. It's called Weather Channel Pioneers. And there's a website called weatherchannelpioneers.com where you can get little excerpts from the book. You know, it's got excerpts from so many people that were in the beginnings of things. And Tom, of course, is one of them. Um, you know, Joe DeLeo. Uh, John Coleman, of course, passed away recently. But I think uh, he was in on working on this book too, right? He, he and Joe were the uh, primary authors. I had I had the for, fortune to at least contribute to the book. Okay. Yeah, and even uh, James Wilson, my producer, uh, was in on it too. I mean, he's worked for the Weather Channel for a long time 1983. Oh, it's crazy. 19, yeah, he was in right after the beginning. Um, so, yeah, the book is really cool, and it's actually put together in a really nice way. I know for me, I'm like a math science guy. I'm not a very good reader. I can't stand when I open up a book and it's just a wall of text, you know? <laughs> So this book, it actually breaks it up. You've got some pictures in there, and, you know, things are broken up by, uh, you know, there's just shorter, easy-to-digest stuff in it, which I really like, and it's really just kind of laid out nicely. Um, You know, one thing that I found really interesting that we just found out about uh, the way that the Weather Channel started was I think Joe DeLeo had said this when uh, we were talking to him a little bit ago, is that the Weather Channel started because... John Coleman was upset that he wasn't getting enough time for his <laughs> for his weather hits or something like that. But having worked in local news for like 10 years before I started working at the Weather Channel, I totally understand that. That is something that gets so annoying. You know, you have this whole, especially on like a noon show or something, you know, you have this show that's just full of so much crap. You know, like all this entertainment junk that nobody cares about. And your weather hit is already only two minutes. It's probably the only thing that people care about in the whole flipping newscast. And then if they need to cut some time, like, oh, can you go 115? Can you? It's like, get out of here. Can't you cut the Kardashian stuff or something? <laughs> did you ever, you, you never worked in local news, did you? No, I just the uh, cable station and weather channel. But I do uh, sympathize with the local people. It's like, Breaking news! Oh, we're going to have to take away time. Can you do yeah. the weather in a minute? Or on, and on those national broadcasts, sometimes they have like thirty seconds. Oh, yeah. it's crazy! I know, and they have uh, <clears throat> some really knowledgeable meteorologists on there, but they get no time. There's a great old clip. I remember the guy on CNN. I think his name was Chad. Remember, he was talking about a hurricane, and he used some big word, and the the anchor got really upset at him. Or she said, can you just break it down? And he goes, well, if you'd let me finish. I think he was on Katrina. You ought to look that up on YouTube. It's a hilarious clip. And she goes, but Chad, but Chad. But, and Chad, Chad's just great. <laughs> well, yeah, we could do a whole show on <laughs> meteorologists and producers. Now, yes. they're wonderful people. But when you have a uh, closed area with the, your scientific types like you, right, or me, and then you have producers who have... TV in mind, uh, sometimes the you got to maneuver through some rocky roads and come to compromises. And as I say, that could be a whole other uh, podcast. It could be. It's like a marriage sometimes. And you got to keep in mind when you're the on-air person, 
They can, if they decide they want to, they can probably end your career. All they have to do is leave your mic on <laughs> during a commercial or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, we could do a whole other podcast on that. What else is there, Tom? Anything else interesting about the early days? I, I wanted to talk about the graphics a little bit. I know uh, James uh, was mentioning to me when I told him that I was having you in. He was like, have him talk about the uh, the graphic systems that we used. Uh, what was it? One of them was Paint something. Paintbox. Paintbox. Yeah. What yeah. is Paintbox? I well, the artists would know more about that, but they were again. It was a computer graphic where, and the kids know about this stuff now because they get these tablets and right. they can take palettes and and you can create and write and draw and do all your art things, sure. which I can't do. I trouble drawing a stick man, <laughs> let alone. But well, you know, interestingly enough, in the early days of the Weather Channel, it wasn't twenty four hours a day. It started that way, but. The, the uh, control room people, uh, et cetera, said, you know, we need time for maintenance to when th- little things go wrong in the control room. We have to fix things and all that. So basically, after about the first year or so, uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, it was sh- the broadcast stopped being live, and we would do a two-hour, uh, we call them tapers, the sure. two-way uh, uh, show would be taped for the next two hours without current information in it. So it was like really 22 hours a day, just as a tidbit for anybody that wants to get a little morsel of oh uh, Weather Channel fanatics. False advertising. <laughs> 24-hour network. No, I mean, listen, um, we have to do that all the time for digital um, because think about it. I mean, it's pretty tough to go live on the app, on the Weather Channel app, but we have a system in place where – we can put together a video in you know less than 15 minutes. So if there's a tornado that hits a town, we can very quickly find some video from maybe somebody who just tweeted out a uh, a picture or a video of it. We call that UGC, user generated content. Um, that's what our news desk is always looking for. So say there's a tornado that hits a town, our news desk can immediately within a minute or two after it hits, if somebody has tweeted out a picture, we can go get that video. And even if we just have that, I can pull up some radar files or something and just kind of show people where it was. We can show them the video. Hey, this is kind of a developing situation. Uh, we'll keep you updated as things progress. And we can put together a 45-second video, and it can be out on your app in 15, 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, so well, that's about in, as good as we can do now. Back in those days, of course, we didn't have the video, and people didn't have phones and take pictures of tornadoes uh, real time. Uh, we have what we call an update desk where one meteorologist would sit down and you talk about ripping off uh, warnings from our teletype machine and the uh, anchors in the studio, which was more like a closet. <laughs> but anyway, they would go to the update desk and the person would be waving their hands because there was no other way to get their attention. They could actually see the person. That right. has, and they would read the warning if it was a warning for one of our affiliates. The other way we could get warnings to affiliate was when uh, they still have it, the Weather Channel Star, the satellite transponder adjustable receiver, which was uh, light years ahead of anything at the time and able to take the weather service forecast and put it on the weather channel. It was able to take, uh, well, they had to code them, but warnings and watches and all that, statements from the National Weather Service, and they could get played on the air with maybe a red background. This is the first time that anybody ever got to see those really in real time. And I know the, the star system is still used now, although it's much fancier than it used to be. It's amazing, uh, just all the stuff that pops up in real time. I mean, at, at the instant a, a tornado warning comes up, the polygon is there. I mean, it's just uh, it's really amazing nowadays. I That's now. I'm going to go back one more yeah, yeah, quick do. story, funny Please story. Do. The way that we got warning or watches on the air, you know, we had the Quantel frame. You would take a map and get, say it's a tornado watch, red construction paper, 
an exacto knife. We cut out a rectangle. So I still I still have a couple of slits in my finger from the exacto knife. We place that on the map. Uh, take a quick picture of it through the system we had and store it in the Quantel with a heading on it, and it would say severe thunderstorm watch for, and then it would be a map with Oklahoma and Texas and all that, and you'd see it, and we do that for the severe thunderstorms and all that, too. So. That's amazing. Construction paper, yep. legitimately. I mean, I, 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 had, I had honestly forgotten <laughs> about construction paper. I hadn't used it since I was a tiny <laughs> little kid. That's amazing. Um, Tom, this has been interesting. I think we did, was there anything else you wanted to talk about while we got you in the building? Uh, no, but I do uh, would like people that are interested in the Weather Channel and the history, uh, the pioneers, to uh, buy the book. Yeah. It's on Amazon. It's available. And then, as uh, Ari said, uh, weatherchannelpioneers.com. And we consider pioneers, by the way. We have a Facebook page for it. But pioneers were people that worked there or were uh, brought in during the first five years. And that's who we consider the pioneers. So started in 82. So the people who were brought there between 82 and 87 or so. Sounds about right. Well, this has been fun having you in, Tom, and uh, yeah, you got to see the new studios and everything. It's pretty cool up here, isn't it? Uh, yeah, snazzy, as they used to say back in the <laughs> 60s. Or my, my daughter still uses that. She's 14, and she, yeah. she still uses the word snaz. I wonder why. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but you got a great panoramic view of the city here, oh guys. Oh, my gosh, and I can't believe it. We've been in this building, I can't even remember now, maybe uh, four to six months or something, and I just can't wait. For the first thunderstorm that we have, that we can watch it come in from the west. We're up on the 21st floor of a high-rise here in Atlanta. We're not downtown, but we have a great view of downtown and midtown. Uh, We're down in the perimeter area. That's the big building that says IBM Watson on it, and on the other side it says Zurich. If you're familiar with Atlanta, you can see it on 285. It's like exit 29. It's a really, really cool building. And we have windows in our studio. You have to imagine for an an on-air person... (laughs) There are some days in the summer where it's like 90 degrees out and sunny all day, and when you're stuck in a studio all day, it's just black in there, and you, you can't even remember that. It's sunny outside. We actually have windows in the studio, and we can have them open while we shoot. It's really cool. All right, Tom, thanks again for coming. Hopefully it wasn't too hard to get here. Nice little ride down 400. Yeah, my nice. pleasure. It's great to be you. Great to see you again. Yeah, same goes. All right, maybe we'll see you around soon. All right, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We'll see you back here next time.